every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Nackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. On this episode of Notably Disney, I am engaging in a bit of an experiment. It, this is an episode where I am going to share with you recommendations of Disney songs and scores if you have predilections toward certain Disney songs and scores. Essentially, it's an opportunity to familiar, familiarize you with some tunes and pieces of music that uh, will maybe strike your fancy. And joining me on this endeavor as we alternate in uh, delivering our picks is author and professor Matthew Hodge, who has been a frequent guest on the podcast. And so we're going to go back and forth and sharing some selections and engaging in some thoughtful conversation along the way. Thanks for being here, Matt. Hey, it's nice to be here. This is fun. We'll see if we still feel that way after the end of this, <laughs> yeah. because uh, this you've is... never done an episode like this. Like... Yeah, I felt like this was just a a neat way of kind of reflecting on the the vast world of Disney music, but in a different way, because many of us have our favorite tunes and for different reasons, and we're not necessarily sharing our favorites, but more of just presenting some examples of pieces that everybody's probably familiar with, and then just saying, hey, if you like this, then maybe you'll like that as well. Yeah, you and I have had many conversations geeking out over Disney music, so now we can put a microphone up to it. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how this starts, and we're going to start off uh, with sharing some songs. We're going to each share five, and we'll just kind of go back and forth, and then from there we'll uh, move over to scores. So, yeah, Matt, what's your first selection? So we're doing songs first. Songs. So my approach to this, when you explained it to me, was, okay, we'll start with something that's a bit more popular or famous and then recommend something that may not be as popular or as famous mainstream. Um, okay, so my first one is, if you like Friends on the Other Side, Dr. Facilier's villain song in The Princess and the Frog, a terrific villain, if you like Friends on the Other Side then you may like Sweet Child, 
from The Little Mermaid on Broadway. Sweet Child is a song sung twice by Flotsam and Jetsam. And it's a really cool song. They sing it in Act 1, and then they do a reprise of it in Act 2. And it's very similar to Friends on the Other Side. It's them being very sleazy, but charismatic and hypnotic, but moments that sound really scary. Uh, it's really cool. Flossum and Jetsum finally get some, some glory in the Broadway show, and it's really cool. It's one of my favorite uh, new music they added to the Broadway show. Um, so it's really cool. I think Flots, uh, the Blossom and Jetsum's song, Sweet Child, uh, is a really cool addition to Disney villain canon. But a lot of people don't know it. Because even when you go see the Little Mermaid stage musical, you're wanting to hear a poor unfortunate souls. But Flotsam and Jetsum have some really cool villainy music. And they the reprise of it in Act 2 is just as cool, even maybe a little cooler in its arrangement than even in Act 1. Why so? Because they get even more dramatic, and it has this... Uh, I'm not going to go into geeky music theory stuff, but it, it's very dramatic, and it starts off very hypnotic and, and uh, boiling tension, and then they really explode, and it builds into this really climactic um, harmony and notes and this awesome minor chord they hit together, and it's really sinister. It sounds just as dark and evil as Poor Unfortunate Souls does. And as the friends on the other side, so and and Doctor Vasilier, his song is famous for he's a smooth talker and he's doing the cards. So his song starts off very with dark charm, but then it builds into more excitement and uh, uh, climactic darkness. So check out "Sweet Child" from Flotsam and Jetsam from the Broadway soundtrack of The Little Mermaid. There you go. Well, my first pick has a parallel in that my recommendation... We also didn't tell each other at all. Yeah. So I have no idea what you're going to say. Yeah, so this is a a fun experiment. Um, So so my first selection, uh, the recommendation, actually is also a Broadway song. But the starting point is uh, an Oscar-winning tune. Sadly, Friends on the Other Side did not win an Oscar, (laughs) although it should have been nominated for one. Uh, I know a few other pieces from the film were... Uh, so everybody knows a whole new world. It's a lovely uh, piece of music that uh, is uh, between Prince Ali, Aladdin, and Jasmine on the magic carpet, and they're flying around, and they're exp- they're experiencing romance for the first time in a really fantastic way. It's in my top five Disney songs uh, for many obvious reasons. And I was thinking, well, what's another love song, but maybe has a different spin on it, but perhaps some of the same roots. And so what I saw as the common link with my recommendation is uh, Tim Rice as the lyricist. So I went ahead and selected Enchantment Passing Through from mm, yes. from Aida. Yes, brilliant show. I'm glad, it, I'm glad you approve. Uh, so this is in the original uh, production, uh, which debuted on Broadway in 2000 with Heather Headley and Adam Pascal uh, as, the, as the primary characters. It's, it's a very, it's almost a, a tense song at first in, in terms of them trying to, the, the main characters trying to kind of navigate this forbidden romance and relationship. And, um, and it's not, it's not a traditional love song. There's, there's just a sense of like, um, discomfort almost in, in terms of the lyrics and, 
and the vibe you you hear Rodimus, that's Adam Pascal's character, um, just like belting out um, and and just wondering like how can we make this work? Like I'm so in love with her, and it's just uh, it has a fantastic energy to it. Um, it actually um, there's a if, as memory serves me, um, it has a really strong uh, percussion element to it, and there's almost like a rock opera element to particularly Rodimus' part um, at at the end. And even though that's quite distinct from a whole new world, I felt like it's an opportunity to think about characters that may seem like they come from worlds apart and Aladdin and Jasmine are like that. And similarly with our Aida friends. So that's what I decided to go with Enchantment Passing Through. I love that you did Aida. That show has some killer songs. The strongest suit and easy. My strongest life. suit. My strongest suit and easy as life. Yes. Cr- crushes. That's fun. We both started off with Broadway. Oh wow! Who would, who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> all right, Matt. What's okay. up next? Okay, I need you all to hear me out on this and not instantly just want to throw tomatoes at me. Okay, if you like friend like me, from. The incredible Robin Williams genie in Aladdin. Let's let's specify that version. (laughs) Yes, if you like the song "Friend Like Me," I think you would like Jafar's song "You're Only Second Rate" from Return of Jafar. Now, hear me out, Disney people. I know this direct to VHS sequel is uh, is lovingly panned (laughs) by many people. Obviously, it does not have Robin Williams. He came back for the third one. So a lot of people love to just skim right over this movie and make fun of it. And some of the songs in it are not the best. But I actually think this is a really solid villain song. And it's very much in style with Friend Like Me. It's it's basically Jafar being the darker opposite because he's a dark genie. So musically, they do that. So it's really interesting. So... If you take out the equation, it's from this movie that people love to hate. The song itself, you get the original voice of Jafar. You get Jonathan Freeman singing. Because in Aladdin, the original, he only gets one little reprise of Prince Ali. It's like a 90-second villain song. But in Return of Jafar, in his song, he gets a whole song. And it is a darker image of Friend Like Me. It has the the type of musicality and the orchestration and the the jazziness and the showstopperness but it musically sounds like a darker version of friend like me which is fitting and it's very catchy it's not it doesn't reach the level of robin williams singing friend like me but it does bring justice to jonathan freeman who's a wonderful performer that he gets his own great villain song and as much as we people love to loathe on return of jafar for it being Aladdin without Robin Williams that if we only focus on that we're not also focusing on it did give a brighter spotlight to Jonathan Freeman as Jafar because it's really all about him so he's in he's in the title yeah obviously so he's in a lot more scenes he's in more music and he gets his own song and it's a very standalone song but it's a great throwback to friend like me but a darker image of it so I'm sticking with it I know people love to hate that movie but Focus on that song. I haven't heard that one in a while. I need to revisit it. Do you want me to sing it for you? You only second. <laughs> it's it's a really solid Disney villain song. Mm, okay, nice. Well, I decided to venture to the Disney theme parks for my next selection Ooh. and go with a song that 
most of us know if we love a certain little purple dragon. <gasps> yes. So it's one little spark, which of oh. course is Figment's song from Journey into Imagination. Everyone's favorite character from everyone's least favorite ride. <laughs> <laughs> well, this incarnation. <laughs> yes. I thought you were going to say everybody's favorite character as depicted in a popcorn bucket, but yeah, that applies. Well, to that's it. true. So we're thinking about one little spark. It's it's very it's obviously a perfect Sherman-esque piece because it is by the Sherman brothers. It represents optimism uh, regarding uh, imagination, of course, and leaning into the creativity that all of us bring to the world. And I was trying to think, okay. Well, what's a piece of optimistic music that is in that same mold? So I wanted to stick with the same lovable songwriters um, and actually shift to the Carousel of Progress. Aww. But it's not the song that you're thinking of. Oh. Yes. Did you hear that? It's yeah. not that there's a great big beautiful tomorrow. I am going with the best time of your life. Now, Brett, what's the best time of your life? Well, if you did not ride the Carousel of Progress in the 70s and 80s in Walt Disney World and early 90s, then you're maybe not familiar with it. So when Carousel of Progress opened in Walt Disney World, again, so the idea was it shifted from the World's Fair in New York in the 60s to Disneyland, and then it Carousel of Progress moved to Walt Disney World in 1973, and uh, 1974, and they were like, okay, well, we don't actually want to use There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. Um, General Electric was like, well, let's have a new theme song and focus more on the present as opposed to the past, which really is the, the crux of the attraction. So The Best Time of Your Life has a, uh, it's, it's very upbeat in the same manner as There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow, um, but it has a almost even though it's meant to be present, it's also kind of old schools. Now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the best time of your life. Clearly, I'm not a singer. It has a, a very catchy melody to it, as you would imagine with the Sherman Brothers. It's a lovely compliment to There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow, but also different in terms of the, the sentiment um, and just um, embracing the now. And so consequently, I feel like if you appreciate One Little Spark, you might want to revisit this classic Magic Kingdom tune that is uh, sadly in the past. Wow. I haven't thought of that song in a long time. I forgot about that song. Okay. Well, I forgot about Jafar's song, so well, we're doing Most this. people did. <laughs> Should I even ask if you could only ride one attraction, would you ride Journey into Imagination or Carousel of Progress? Well, I never wrote the original Journey into Imagination, which I know is very impressive, but I, I, I would probably go with Carousel of Progress any day, every day. Yes, I think so would it, everyone. <laughs> All right, what's next for you? Okay, I've got another villain one. Hmm. So I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> uh, if you like the song Guest On from Beauty and the Beast, which is a, a, it's a really great villain song in the sense of it's, uh, peppy and fun and comedic and uh, you know uh, it's it's joyful villainy <laughs> the perfect pub song yes then check out the song the world's greatest criminal mind from the movie the great mouse detective oh. it's very similar it, it 
literally it's almost kind of copy and paste a little bit. Um, it's a song with uh, Radigan uh, as the evil mastermind and his henchmen and sidekick and buddies are singing about how amazing you are and like really trying to lift you up about your wow you're just so incredible villain and is very much in line with lafu and the pub people of gaston um, the pub people the That's... pub people <laughs> the pub people the villagers um it, it very... the ones with the pitchforks and <laughs> yeah. the following scenes yes and the swooning girls um it, it's very and even musically it's it's very similar i mean i'm not saying uh, gaston copied from great mouse detective over a decade before it, but it is very similar both musically and psychologically and what it's doing as part of the story and who's leading it. Um, it it's very fun. So uh, I know great mouse detective is one that is often overlooked because it, it's pre Renaissance. Um, but check it out. It, it's definitely a fun, uh, it's like a, a pre version of Gaston that I do wonder then when they wrote Gaston, if they kind of stood on those shoulders and then made it even better. <laughs> but it is sort of, I think Gaston is still a better song, but you can listen to The Greatest Criminal Mind and hear a lot of Gaston-esque of, oh, I wonder if that inspired what they then did, you know, in the 90s. <laughs> as like a villain song. As a, as a joyful, hurrah, villain, we love you. <laughs> You also can't see the hand gestures I'm doing right now as I speak. <laughs> it's very heroic, yes. Yes. Do you like Great Mouse Detective? Have I you... haven't watched that in the longest time. Do you remember that song? I can't say it's fresh in my mind. Yeah. See? So, so your mission accomplished. Yeah. All right. Well, um, as Matt focuses on villainy, <laughs> I'm going to focus on friendship. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's a nice compliment. So... Uh, everybody knows the Oscar-nominated song, You've Got a Friend in Me, mm, which is classic. the signature Toy Story tune that we probably hear 10 different instrumental versions of in Toy Story Land. <laughs> and it's it's you know Randy Newman's opus in, <laughs> yes. in the Disney world. It's his Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. <laughs> yes, it is. And, it's, and you know, it, this was a unique song in the scheme of Disney animation and ultimately Pixar, of course, because it's it was really, un how should I put it? Most songs to date that really capture the essence of a character are sung by the character themselves. So Randy Newman is basically uh, Woody's inner voice and also same with Buzz. And and so we we, we experience it in a different lens. And so I was thinking, well, what's a song that captures the essence of friendship, but from a maybe a distinct lens? And so I immediately thought of, if you like You've Got a Friend in Me, then you'll also like Nobody Else But You from a Goofy movie. Oh, Because that film... You know I love a Goofy movie. I do. And this is a song that focuses on the friendship, if you will, between a father and a son, parent and child, and uh, it comes during a point in the film when they're kind of, um, you know, they're floating on their car <laughs> on the river as you do, yep. and it's uh, they're kind of down on their luck and they're just they're feeling kind of despondent and not really connected. And what do fathers and sons bond over? Show tunes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in this case, we see Goofy and Max 
uh, coming together over lyrics like, uh, so your jokes are all, let's face it, prehistoric, and your music sounds like monkeys in a zoo, but when life becomes distressing, who will I be SOSing? And uh, he actually calls Goofy, his dad, somewhat intoxicated, mm-hmm. but he's just highly animated, and he's nobody else but nobody else but you. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, a lovely sentiment. Um, I really enjoy it. It's one of the. It's like a pick me up type of song in the same way that you've got a friend in me is. Um, so I feel like yes, we all probably, if we're true Disney fans, we love a Goofy movie, but we probably generally just focus on. On eye to eye, eye to eye, and stand out. <laughs> yeah. Um. But I feel like nobody else but you needs to get a lot of love. Maybe more love than the possum song. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brett has heard me break out into the possum song before. I love a goofy movie. No, I love that you chose that song because it's true. I mean, eye to eye is incredible. I yeah. I love that song so much. But I love nobody uh, else but you. And people do often overlook it. My best friend Dan. When we were younger, we would sing that to each other. And so it's also a very cute scene because they're singing on top of a car floating and they almost just died on a waterfall. <laughs> and it's, it's a very, very sweet song. And it is nice in Disney World to have duets. It's not just a love duet. Yeah. Like it is it is sort of rare to have a nice like, oh, this is between two friends and also a parent and a child. Um, mm-hmm. a, a love song in a different type of love way. Yeah, and I feel like we've seen that more recently, in ter- even though it's perhaps been exploited a lot between Anna and Elsa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel like we have that same yeah. uh, love. Love isn't just romance. Yeah. It can be friendships and family. And Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Nice. All right, Matt. Are we back uh, to villainy? Or are we no, shifting? we're going to stay with the love theme. You oh, really? It to- so okay. now we're going to go way back to the OG, and we're going to stay in the OG. So... If you like, so we all love Snow White and the Seven Doors for what it did for the Disney empire. Like it, it, it's the foundation that builds all the movies that we love. Um, Snow White's is very important historically. The, the Snow White song, Someday My Prince Will Come, that's the really famous one that people always talk about. It's the first Disney princess song. It's a very famous jazz standard. I used to do a ton of jazz music with different bands and clubs, and that song is is one of the classic Disney jazz standards. So when people think of Love Song from Snow White, they always think of Someday My Prince Will Come. But I want to argue that we forget the prince's song that I think is a much better song than Someday My Prince Will Come. So his song is called One Song. Mm. And we we constantly forget, because a lot of times there's a there's a running joke of like the prince doesn't even talk in the movie. He actually sings, and he sings twice. But we totally forget it. He sings one song, this really beautiful love song, to Snow White. And then at the end, he sings it again. And the reprise is even a more beautiful, like simplistic, heartbreaking arrangement of it. It's a really pretty song. Mm-hmm. And I kind of rediscovered it a few years ago when I, I've I've gone through a big phase the last couple of years of really wanting to go back to the classics. Like Brett knows I've made him watch a lot of like the classics. Made um, him. Made him, yes. Um, but, you know, I've just been like, and rediscovering too along with that music and a lot of music we forget because with the classics, we often just remembered the one or two really famous song that became like the staple single from it. So go listen to one song. It's, it's 
everything you want from an old classic Disney love song is very lush. And, but we often think of love songs from the Disney princess perspective, but the prince gets a song. Um, I remember when Frozen 2 came out, people were so big on like, oh, finally, like, a, a you know, the male song, the male prince gets a song or the male love interest gets a song. And it's like, no, in the OG, that exists. But we can, we totally forget about it because we just focus on Snow White, Someday My Prince Will Come. So listen to one song. I think it's a, I personally, as a musician and a composer, I think it's a prettier melody, a prettier chord progression. I think he sings it lovely. I love the reprise at the end. He does it in like a haunting way with a, a choir in the background. And even when I rediscovered it, I remember thinking, why did I forget about this song? <laughs> why did I just focus on her song? The princess song is much better, but we just totally forget about it. And we think he doesn't even talk, but he sings and sings a better song than she does. So why have we forgotten it? Justice for Prince. <laughs> and so, so go listen to that one if you want to really go back in time. I love the instrumental version of it. It's uh, I think he used the word haunting, and or did I did especially, I mention that? No, I did. Especially at the end, the reprise of it. Yeah, yeah. I I've listened. They've actually used that in some. I don't know if it's a Disney documentary or some other space that's not necessarily directly tethered to Snow White. Um, I think maybe it was related to Walt Disney himself, and it's it it I kind of shake when I hear it because it's just so overpowering. It is the or the orchestration of it is very large and lush because that's the, what the style was in. right but just as a song like if i were to just sit and play it on the piano i think it's a much more beautiful mm. song than someday my prince will come yeah i would agree i i yeah. I, I think it's a lovely great selection yeah. i like that you picked one within the same film yes. so uh so my next selection if you like frozen heart from Frozen. <laughs> the opening song? Yes. And maybe that's not the most <laughs> nice. familiar song, but everybody yeah. knows Frozen. So even if you don't know the name of the song, it's Frozen Hearts, the opening. They're all chopping through the ice. This, again, was written by the Lopez's, uh, Kristen Anderson and Robert. Um, it's, you know, it sets the mood of the film that it's, it's kind of uh, striking. It's brutish. It's very... Um, there's a there's a masculinity to it in terms of what they're trying to convey that oh like we're we're just cutting through the ice and it's I, I'm doing I'm doing this very oh, no, slowly like like, yeah no, I like it yeah okay so um, anyways Frozen Heart I think is a quite underrated song because mm -hmm. of course all the others are the ones that people hum along to but I feel like you know it is it's kind of foreboding there's some lovely um instrumentals in there that kind of give off a sense of mystery and uh fear so if you like frozen heart then may i point you to the song of mordu from brave which everybody has probably forgotten about because nobody talks about brave as much anymore um and i don't necessarily think that it's the strongest pixar feature but i love the song of mordu uh it is a kind of a non-traditional villain song. Um, the villains in the film really are, well, the, the villain, Merida's kind of the villain, to be honest. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think we can interrogate that. But, but the, the song of Mordu is basically this notion of this, this bear that has been uh, 
known to claim the lives of many a folk. And so you have all these Scottish men coming together. It's almost like a Gaston type song, really, of them like uh, almost sharing like war stories of like all the things that Mordu has done. And he's, uh, he's awful. And it, even though that's different than Frozen Heart, there's a, there's a sense of uh, fear and chilliness to it. It's just, it's very, um, I wouldn't say it's haunting, but it's, uh, it's almost like it's arousing. That's probably the best word to describe both of these songs. They're arousing in terms of igniting you to do something. So Frozen Heart, fear, you fear that. And then similarly with Song of Mordu, fear Mordu. Like, and, but we're going get, to get his head on a plate because, I mean, the, the lyrics are quite graphic with Song of Mordu mm-hmm. if you really deconstruct it. But it's, it's very much like a pub song and it's uh, just really fun and uh, unexpected uh compelling so this was not a song that struck me as really interesting when i first watched in the film but then at the d23 expo 2013 they had as you're waiting for the big presentations they had a kind of a running loop of different songs and i heard this constantly because i was waiting in the hall for a very long time and i just absolutely started loving it i'm like wow why didn't i appreciate the song within the film um so Anyways, Song of Mordu, uh, it appears in the film on multiple occasions. It's great. Um, it's uh, Celtic, so if you like Celtic mm-hmm. music, uh, what a treat. Um, <laughs> and uh, there you go. I love Brave. I love the music. I feel like Brave is very uh, underrated. Um, yeah, I, I love uh, Touch the Sky is mm. from a Pixar film. It's, it's one of my favorites. I think it's uh, an incredible. T- it's it's beautiful in its homage as like a folk song in the way it's written, but it's really beautiful. Um, I love Brave. I love the music. Celtic music is one of my favorite uh, music of like international genres. Songs. Yeah, I yeah. I love it, and I, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned Brave. Okay, I love Brave. Good. Thanks for the validation. Yes. Okay, where are we off to next? Okay, so my fifth and final one for this category, songs. Uh, it's I'm going to break the rules a little bit. I'm not going to mention a specific song to set it up. I'm going to mention a type of song. So there's a lot of... So I'm going to stay in the classic world again. So there's a lot of famous classic prologue songs mm-hmm. in classic Disney movies, which is like the song that opens it and it's the main song from it. It's over the opening credits and all the old glory fashion with the opening storybook. One. So a lot of the famous ones that are used a lot that people hear a lot are the Alice in Wonderland song, Alice in Wonderland, the Cinderella, um, the Peter Pan's the second star to the right. So, the one that I actually really love that I think you you hardly ever hear because I think it just gets overlooked is the song The Sword in the Stone from The Sword in the Stone. It's the opening prologue and it's a really beautiful like folk ballad um, and, and it does exactly what all the other prologues do. It's a really beautiful song. It's, it's kind of haunting because it sets up like England's going through a lot. Um, and it's just a single male singer, and it's really beautiful. Uh, it opens with like um, a legend, a song when England was young, when knights were brave and bold. Like it does. It's a really, really cool prologue song, and it's a really beautiful 
melody. And I think it's different because a lot of the, those other ones I mentioned, they're famous for these big choir, kind of like how we just talked about Snow White. You know, it's very, mm. at the time, it's very like lush and huge orchestra and everyone's over singing. And, and this one, it's very intimate. It's one male singer, one string instrument, guitar, lute type of sound. Um, and it just sets up that England is going through a really dark time. England is either going to be saved or be damned. <laughs> and this legend is going to come that's going to save the country in this most beautiful way. And then it like does the story. It was a really great prologue. It, it's, it may be actually my favorite of the that whole era of classic hmm. prologues that open a Disney movie. But it's one that I feel is almost like least heard as the other ones. So, so what was your if you like this? What was your? It was the if you like these famous prologue so, songs. So Alice in Wonderland, Second Star of the Right, Cinderella, okay. like the the theme song. Then check out the Sword in the Stone prologue gotcha. song. Okay, because that's the one that people don't ever listen to. Fair enough. <laughs> or but don't hear. I think yeah. Okay, I can appreciate that. Yeah. I think I mean I think Madame Mim is having her you know comeback <laughs> yes. tour. With with her imagery and all these games, but okay, yeah, for Sword in the Stone, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know Brett is not a, a lover of Sword in the Stone like I am. It's but okay. That's okay. <laughs> you can appreciate different things. Yes. So my last selections are really the the common thread here is not necessarily a genre or category, but rather location. Ooh. So. If you love Santa Fe from Newsies, <laughs> uh, Broadway version or film, so whether you want to hear Christian Bale or Jeremy Jordan or uh, anybody else uh, perform Santa Fe, so it's this longing song uh, from the Jack Kelly character. He's uh, you know he's he's seeking something different from that New York state of mind. He wants to be out in the beautiful vistas of New Mexico, as every young boy dreams of. I think you may also dream of another city, but not necessarily the Southwest. How about Detroit? How do you feel about Detroit, <laughs> Matt? So, my wow. if you like Santa Fe, I think you're also going to like Detroit from The Happiest Millionaire. Wow. So, the first song is one from uh, Alan Menken and Jack Feldman, mm. uh, whereas the latter is uh, from our Sherman Brother buddies. Um, so Detroit is, uh, the Tommy Steele character and Leslie Ann Warren's in the scene too. And it's, and this, I actually, there are parallels too. So Newsies is set around the turn of the 19th, uh, I'm sorry, the turn of the 20th century and, uh, and Happiest Millionaire takes place in uh, the 1910s. So kind of similar time period, but Detroit is like this magical city. Uh, and you know, it's all, where all the auto mobiles are being produced <laughs> so much like the appeal of santa fe with the open vistas and you know uh horses and whatever else you might find in new mexico <laughs> detroit offers a lot of promise and i feel like that's the parallel here in in terms of a city that is unfamiliar to someone from a different you know area um offering promise offering hope offering inspiration um so i i think you know what even though they might be a little bit different in tone, uh, there's still uh, a, sim a similarity in terms of uh, appreciation of a place that 
uh, maybe isn't in your backyard. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a nice parallel. Yeah. Wow, happiest millionaire. That's a that's a chestnut to pull out. <laughs> a chestnut? Yeah, that old chestnut. <laughs> okay. All right, well, let's shift over to scores. Okay. So do you want to do the honors of going first, Matt? Sure. All right, I'm going to start off with classics again. I didn't know if Brett would bring a lot of classics. I was like, I'm going to bring home some classics because, like I said, I've been in a I've been in a mood the last few years of like, dang it, I want to I want to really appreciate where we came from. Okay, so if you love the score to Sleeping Beauty, which mm-hmm. is, is a very famous score, obviously Tchaikovsky's ballet music is is very much at the foundation of it, and a lot of people know that instrumental score from from Sleeping Beauty, Tchaikovsky's music, then Check out, also by Tchaikovsky, The Nutcracker Suite in Fantasia. Oh, of course. So even though Sleeping Beauty was super, uh, it made that his Sleeping Beauty music really famous. Um, you know, Tchaikovsky had a relationship with Disney. I mean, Disney had a relationship with Tchaikovsky's music, you know, a decade before with Fantasia. And it's a really, I mean, it's not my favorite segment of Fantasia, but it's a solid segment. And it's very cute about the, the seasons changing and spring and summer and mm. fall and winter and the fairies and the mushrooms and all of that stuff. But it utilizes, um, even though it's not my favorite segment of what it's doing visually, I do think it's one of the more successful segments in Fantasia about the visuals matching what the music is doing, mm-hmm. even though it's a different theme. Fair enough. And Tchaikovsky Really, his Nutcracker suite is even more famous than his Sleeping Beauty suite. But in the world of Disney, the Sleeping Beauty music is what is often heard more mm-hmm. um, f- from his music. So I would say go check out. We watch Fantasia. Sometimes I think Fantasia is like a is a famous film and like a beloved classic. But I I have met quite a few people that are like, no, never saw it, never watched what? it. Um, so check it out. Check out the segment of the Nutcracker Suite. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see the, the clear parallels there. And I, I think I'm probably pr- most partial to Rite of Spring but um, mm, yeah. and, and Sorcerer's Apprentice. But that is... Mine is not on Bald Mountain. <laughs> okay, and yes. I l- love it. That because... is my favorite piece of classical music. Well, but we also know that you love villains, so that all adds well, yes. up. <laughs> love that. Okay, well... I uh, I didn't go with a class a classic classic for my first choice, um, but I feel like this is a time um, with when we're shifting the scores and thinking more about live action because uh, most of what we focused on to date has been um, animated fare with a few exceptions, um, and so I decided to highlight uh, Tron, which of course is mm. a landmark score from Wendy Carlos, uh, nineteen eighty two, so. Tron as a film is generally highly regarded for its visuals, maybe not its script, but um, <laughs> that's maybe one of my complaints, sorry. Um, I mean, I, I appreciate the sequel actually quite a bit more, but I feel like if you love Wendy Carlos's uh, really innovative um, and quite memorable electronic score, then it's worth revisiting a score that debuted only a handful of years later and is uh, all electronic and 
a really unique score by Alan Silvestri, and I'm talking about Flight of the Navigator from oh. 1986. Oh, yes. My sister and I watched that as kids a lot. Yeah, I I think this is a, a great, uh, uh, almost like if you need to listen to a, a duo of soundtracks, listen to Tron and then listen to Flight of the Navigator. It's a nice <laughs> companion. Um, and there's the great robot romp. Um, do, 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 yeah, do, yeah, yeah. If you remember that, yeah. Um, and it has a, actually has a really, um, there's some, there, there's a, a breathtaking element to, um, like the theme, but then there's also kind of some sinister elements and then the kind of poppiness of the robot romp and, <laughs> and you get to see if you want to see a very young Sarah Jessica Parker, you can do that here. Yeah, that's true. So, um, I mean, you're not going to hear her in the score, but uh, it's an opportunity to revisit the film. I had never seen Fly of the Navigator growing up. Can really? you believe it? Yeah. Wow. I only watched it for the first time uh, when I was in grad school, and I loved it. Yeah, it's, it's a great movie. Yeah. So I think Tron and Flight of the Navigator are great siblings in a sense. So check it out. Yeah, that's a great pairing. That's wonderful. That's a, that's a Friday night right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Go ahead. All right. So... Next one I have, we're going to sort of go with the same theme that I did with my first one with Fantasia. We're going to go to Fantasia 2000. Oh, yes. But, but first, it's going to be, the setup is, if you like the incredible score by Michael Giacchino, the, his you know, really, really famous, jazzy, brassy, which is fantastic, a phenomenal musical theme for a movie. But if you like that, then go to Fantasia 2000, which was not at all like the most successful <laughs> Disney. I love it. I know. I saw it in IMAX. But um yeah, not the most beloved. Um but in it, it's there's a really important segment based on Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. Mm-hmm. Um not only for its uh, it, it kind of broke a lot of molds with Disney and Fantasia tradition and how they chose music and the animation style and even diversity of characters is a mm-hmm. really important segment. Um, a lot of people have, have critics often called it like it was the best segment of Fantasia 2000. But Gershwin was very famous. He he built a career based on being able to bridge multiple genres, including jazz, orchestral, classical, orchestral, musical theater, Broadway style. Um, and so it's, it doesn't sound exactly like The Incredibles. I mean, The Incredibles is more like that James Bond type of spy jazz music but it's similar in the sense of it gershwin uses jazz sensibilities and sounds and tones in a theatrical narrative way because he loved bridging jazz and classical and musical theater and pop and he really enjoyed doing it all together he didn't he liked to blur the lines of music genre and i hear that in in uh, the incredible score jacchino does a great job of making it feel like a film score and very Disney Pixar and narratively dramatic theatrical, but also rooted in popular foundations of jazz. So I think uh, Rhapsody in Blue, I mean, obviously Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue is a very famous piece of music, but Fantasia 2000 is not the most beloved Disney movie, but that segment is really, really wonderful. 
I think Fantasia 2000 is extremely underrated. I mm-hmm. uh, um, Do I you like it better than the original Fantasia? Or is it hard to compare? It's hard to compare. I feel like, you know, Fantasia was so innovative mm-hmm. in in its debut because of its um, use of sound and, and imagery. And it was a complete departure from yeah. anything anyone had ever seen to date. Yes, we had Silly Symphonies and other shorts, but in terms of what it represented, Fantasia 2000 arrives during a time when, you know, Michael Eisner and, and the Disney animation team, they wanted to pay homage to the original, really pay homage to Walt Disney's intention of having Fantasia mm-hmm. as a, uh, a series, me- a, series, a yeah. mechanism that would consistently reinvent itself. And I saw I, I saw Fantasia 2000 on opening day um, mm-hmm. at the dawn of the millennium. And I remember <laughs> thinking to myself at the time, like I, I'm eight at the time and I'm almost eight. And I'm thinking that I don't fully appreciate this or understand this now, but I feel like I will moving forward and that was very true um i mean i enjoyed it visually but i don't think i had a deep sense of connection because again it's it's not a film with real story i mean there are storylines but they're they're segments yeah it's it's very sophisticated yeah i love i mean both are great i i i talk a lot about the original one in my classes because of what it did for classical music for pop culture for disney i mean fanta sound like they invented stereo sound for like yeah it's phenomenal and so I was just going to say with Fantasia 2000, um, I mean, it's, it's actually not one of my selections, but I, I also want to illustrate that with the, um, the Rhapsody in Blue piece that you mentioned is um, it's Eric Goldberg uh, as the animator, as mm-hmm. the main animator who's responsible for Genie from Aladdin mm-hmm. and Phil from Hercules, among mm. other characters. And... Uh, there's a, a sense of whimsy to the visual depictions. And mm-hmm. uh, if you know uh, Al Hirschfeld, um, that character caricature style mm-hmm. um, is modeled in uh, many of the designs that you see in the scene. And, and there's there's several different st- stories in the sequence. You have the, the little girl who doesn't want to be doing ballet, but rather mm-hmm. just kind of uh, kind of charting New York and you have the, the, the drummer the drummer the yeah. construction worker who yeah, wants he to be a drummer to, yeah. and then the which and uh, I think uh, this is right wasn't the 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 character the construction worker the drummer it, it's a black man yes and it, is. it was wasn't that the first main character in a Disney movie that was animated that was black I think I that's true if not the first one of the first yeah well, but I, I know that that was sort of I mean, it's silly to call it groundbreaking because that's insane that it right. it should be groundbreaking. But it was a, a big deal that one of the main... It, fo- it follows four main characters and that one of them is a black man that's animated. Right. Absolutely. Well, and it wasn't too long after that point when there was the featurette on John Henry um, mm-hmm. that uh, was majorly overlooked and that was important. And actually, right around that time, the um, Dr. Sweet character from Atlantis... Mm-hmm. Um, which the love he's just a just a such a lovable guy that I remember commanded some attention because Atlantis was really um, appreciated for its mm-hmm. uh, racial diversity and um, and and in the voice cast as well. Yeah. Um, but we're we're we're, we're shifting to uh, so many other topics. <laughs> I think no, that's quite all right. I you think go. it's it's important because we need to yeah. think about uh, all the contextual elements of the the pieces of music. So. My, uh, 
I also selected If You Like The Incredibles. Oh, um, well, of course. It's so famous as a score. It is. It it's is. It's so great. And it's fantastic, right? So we love J- Michael Giacchino. And if you go back to the earliest days of Notably Disney, I had a two-part uh, episode, episode series with my cousin David as we talked about our favorite Michael Giacchino scores. And uh, near the top of my list is one that does not get as much love because not as many people saw in theaters, and that is Tomorrowland, which, much mm. like The Incredibles, has a just, uh, it it almost exudes and, and just, uh, it exudes optimism, but it also has a sense of uh, uh, scariness at times to parts of the score, um, particularly with the David Nix, uh, that's the Hugh Laurie uh, villain character, uh, imagining a future that is uh, qu- quite dr- drastically different than the one that Casey, the Brett Robertson character, envisions. And, and we see some sinister elements often manifest in The Incredibles via Syndrome. And um, there's a different flair, of course, for Tomorrowland. But what The Incredibles and Tomorrowland have in common is this very exciting and bombastic full-on orchestra that is uh, just so... Mm enveloping and um and it just makes you feel energized my absolute one of my absolute favorite tracks of all time in any film i know that's quite hyperbole is uh is pin ultimate experience uh, which is the five minute masterpiece in tomorrowland where casey uh, steps into Tomorrowland for the first time, and it is a visual treat, and it's an oral treat as well. Um, and I and I think the parallel uh, there's the the opening scene in the Incredibles, which is the flashback where you hear the main theme. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Someone's pretty excited about it. So uh, I think uh, Tomorrowland's worth a both a watch and a listen um, mm-hmm. if you're a fan of the Incredibles. Yeah, I, yeah, I've always known you've really loved Tomorrowland. Were you really sad that it flopped oh, so hard? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, for sure. And it's not the best piece of cinema. It, there, there are some flaws, but... But I'm surprised but it flopped. I mean, it starred George Clooney, a big movie star. It's a big Disney movie, live action, special effects, based on a beloved attraction yeah. or a, like park IP, like Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. I mean, it was the trifecta of, yeah. of failures in the early 2010s. It was... First it was John Carter, then it was Lone Ranger, and then it was Tomorrowland. And you know what? I actually thoroughly enjoy all three. But the scores um, for all three are also quite excellent. Okay, let's nice. shift. Let's shift. Right. What's your well, next I'm going to keep going with the Giacchino. Okay. <laughs> which, so, uh, obviously, like one of his most most famous, even more so than The Incredibles, is his Up theme. Of course, everyone loves the married life theme, and everyone just is brought to tears by it when you hear it. And it won him an Oscar. Yes, yeah, it's gorgeous. So I say if you love that, another score from Pixar that I think you would love, which is it's it's still a famous movie, but uh, the music of it I don't think is talked about nearly as much as it should be, is the music to Finding Nemo from Thomas Newman. It's very similar in the sense of it uses piano in a very elegant way. Mm-hmm. It uses strings in a, this beautiful... They both use solo piano string hoverings to do these really bittersweet, beautifully dark harmonies and melodies. Um, 
it's very sophisticated. They're both very beautiful and elegant in how they're presented, um, which makes it emotional. Um, and so the opening, the opening music to Finding Nemo is just really, really gorgeous. It's not as melody driven as the up theme, which sure. is why I think the up theme is yeah. remembered more. That beautiful da 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 da. But Finding Nemo, it does that same concept, but it does it more as atmospheric covering, which makes sense because it's matching more of like you're just floating through the, the ocean. Um, but it's really, really beautiful. And I think, I don't know if I would say it's as beautiful as the melody from Up, but I think it's just as elegant and sophisticated. Um, and it's really beautiful. And uh, yeah, Thomas Newman does a, a gorgeous job in it. So you're referring to the the opening like Nemo egg theme? The, yes. The melody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that is, yes. it's, it's, see, the thing is, unfortunately, that hasn't been, uh, utilized in this to the same extent of the up as the up theme yeah. has been, but I do agree yeah. that there are some lovely parallels here, and and this, the scores are, um, if you look at the scores holistically, I would say they're quite different. But I think, mm-hmm. but I see what you're saying there in terms of the two, yeah. especially where they fall in the film. Yeah, in yeah. terms of setting the tone, it's it's all yeah. about loss. Yeah, it, yeah, it's very much setting up like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna use m- music. In an emotional, beautiful, but dark, sophisticated, elegant way. Like, it, it's yeah. very mature music while sounding pixar <laughs> And yes. I think both do a great job at that. Yeah. Coral and Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That would be an interesting uh, character meet and greet. Yes. <laughs> that makes me think of the SNL skit where you could meet... and john john smith Smith. everyone go to youtube and type in snl john smith (laughs) (laughs) pocahontas and it's hysterical yes all right so my next selection is not (laughs) jacchino it's not (laughs) jacchino but it's our good buddy randy oh randy newman you do love the newmans I feel like you want to be like adopted by the Newmans. Well, and I interviewed one of the Newmans, David. Yes. So David was a past guest. Listen to that episode. Yeah. I he was very appreciative that I focused on 102 Dalmatians. Yeah, that wasn't too long ago. That was more of a, yeah. a recent episode. Yeah, that was about a year ago. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, so all right, so um, one. So of, where are we going with the Newmans? <laughs> we could go in a lot of cases. We could talk about Randy. We could talk about Thomas. Or we could talk about David. I'm going to be talking about Randy and um, Monsters, Inc. Monsters, Inc., which was a landmark film for Pixar because uh, their characters could have hair for the first time that moved. (laughs) But we're not talking about uh, the the millions of hair on Sully. Um, But we are focusing on the upbeat, jazzy, exciting, um, very... uh, melodic score uh that randy newman is known for and um and i just i mean monsters inc is a film that i adore i return to the score time and time again but i also think about another randy newman score that maybe doesn't get as much love so if you love monsters inc the score you're also going to love james the giant peach also by randy newman yeah that's great i forget he did it he did that music. Yeah, it's oh, worth revisiting. So that's a goodie. James and the Giant Peach, 
helped contribute. Let me add, it helped contribute to Randy Newman getting his Disney Legend Award because <laughs> he only had the two Toy Story films and James and the Giant Peach. Wow. Um, and then uh, shortly thereafter was when he earned his Disney Legend Award. Uh, and that's, you know, of course, contributed the scores for Toy Story 3, Toy Story 4, Cars and Cars 3, Princess and the Frog, Monsters, wow. Inc. When did James and the Giant Peach come out? 1996. It was a mere five months after Toy Story, so little kids were already oh. familiar with the Randy Newman sound, but very few kids saw James and the Giant Peach <laughs> in the theaters. <laughs> but we, people like me, we watched them in theaters and VHS time and time again, and his score for James and the Giant Peach is one that is, um, it is whimsical because, again, it's it's capturing the world of Roald Dahl and all of these insects you know, coming mm-hmm. to life, but there's also a, a there's there's some scary scenes in the film that uh, that he really uh, accomplishes well um, with his um, just I don't know his yeah, Randy it's Newman a, flair. It's a darker film. It is darker, and I think Randy Newman f- finds that balance between capturing the excitement of you know a a young British boy like living in a piece of fruit, <laughs> uh, but also the terror of of these horrible ants that are just like mm. conniving and just horrible and um and, and Randy Newman seems to always deliver that well there's there's charm and excitement there's that southern uh flair that he brings mm-hmm. you know from from the south and um and mind you does that necessarily fit in you know jolly old England no, but but I feel like he, he, he delivers that perfectly in Princess and the Frog. But there is still a sense of like uh, inconsistent geogra- geographic flair with the music, but it still works. There's there's a there's a funkiness to this to the score, and then and then of course you have like the gospel good news song at the very end, which perfectly fits with James moving to you know, <laughs> living in New York with the bugs, yeah. but. Uh, it it all works somehow. Yeah. I just yeah, I just have a fondness too for that stop animation style because it's such a yeah stop motion a, a, yeah it's stop motion yeah it's a a dying art form in yeah. a sense yeah. So it's a great score. I I think I'm a big fan of the particular track "Into the Peach," um, among others. But uh, yeah, worth a listen. Okay, Very nice. what's up next, Matt? All right, I my next one. I th- I feel like these are this is obvious. Like this is not. A famous to a not famous but i still think there's one is more uh popular in a sense so if you love the score to beauty and the beast from alan minkin which is very much like uh i mean beauty and the beast was just a new benchmark in all levels of animation obviously it's famous for being the first animated film to be nominated for best oscar picture but that score it's so famous not just the music, but the score. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that gorgeous prologue music. So I would equate it to another Renaissance film that I think does just as good of a job, but I think it was slightly uh, overlooked compared to Beauty and the Beast. So that's the score to Hunchback. Oh, for sure. Not, another Minkin one. Mm-hmm. You know, I, uh, you and I have had this conversation a lot before because we both love Beauty and the Beast and Hunchback, and you especially love Hunchback. Mm-hmm. And that Hunchback critics 
really didn't know necessarily what to do with it, but a lot of critics praised it for how, like, they kind of called it the the new Beauty and the Beast. But it did, it wasn't as huge of a boss, box office success. It wasn't the award winner that Beauty and the Beast was. Oh. But the score is one example of what both really try to do of Beauty and the Beast was so elevated because it really was dark and very mature and dealt with heavy themes. And yes, there were moments that it's a silly kids Disney movie, but at its heart, it took itself very Mm -hmm. seriously. And the score to it does that. I mean, that's why that prologue music, uh, just as one example, is such a, a haunting, gorgeous piece of music. And Hunchback, Minkin also has some, not just the music, the songs, but the scores that go with the songs. I mean, Bells of Notre Dame is an incredible theme, musical theme. Hellfire is an incredible musical theme. And I feel like Minkin does just as, just as good of beautifully haunting, mature, sophisticated music that really elevates elevates the story to a piece of art in a way that his his score for Beauty and the Beast did. But I feel like Hunchback isn't as like globally beloved as Beauty and the Beast is. Well, and and I know many folks who have been on the podcast have indicated when I asked the question, you know, underrated piece Mm -hmm. of music and so many people have selected Hunchback over the years, which touches my heart. But there's also a parallel in terms of where Minkin uh, draws on the songs from the film, the instrumental versions to help undergird the score. And I think we see many examples of that with um, Out There and God Help the Mm Outcasts as kind of underpinning the instrumentals, but in a very grand, epic way. Yeah, Yeah, orchestrating them to make wonderful scores, not just... Now I'm just going to play the karaoke instrumental part of the song. But yeah, like making the songs, orchestrating them into a score. Mm -hmm. And I I wish his score for Hunchback was as beloved and played all the time and and hummed the way that the Beauty and the Beast score is. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I can't add anything more to that other than yes. And um, (laughs) I, I wish it was love too. Um, yeah. It was nominated for an Oscar, though. It was. Crit- critics In did, terms of the score. Yeah, yeah. Critics did, like... I mean, it was nominated, and it was critically praised because it was so well done. And like I said, people... I, I remember reading reviews of people calling it kind of like the best thing since Beauty and the Beast. Right. It just, for whatever reason, didn't land as like a, a global box office juggernaut. The way Beauty and the Beast was and there's a lot of theories about that and and some i kind of agree with some i don't but i mean it was tricky because you took a very adult very dark novel and tried to turn it into a a disney film and Mm. had to rewrite a lot of it but yeah hunchback has a gorgeous score minkin at at the top of his game just like he was in beating the beast great uh we're gonna stick in the stay in the 90s for if you like the score for the live action parent trap from 1998 Uh, that's alan silvestri uh, and there's a bunch of great themes in that film including (laughs) maybe i'm capturing it fairly well i don't know but um so again we're hearing alan silvestri again um who i love yeah and he really he didn't contribute a ton in the disney sphere 
um, until more recently. And then um, we, you know, we heard it through uh, Captain America, the first adventure and some other productions. But my thinking is if you like the um, just general charm and positivity of the parent trap 1998 by Alan Silvestri, may I also recommend Disney's The Kid from 2000. Oh. And that is by Mark Shaman, which is a very, um, that's, that has a very uh, poppy, jazz, upbeat vibe uh, for m- most of the score. Um, and then there's, 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 there's some sad cues because it focuses on um, uh, Bruce Willis's character, Russ, uh, reflecting on his childhood and things that perhaps didn't go as well as they could have. Um, so there's some sad sentiment, sentimental cues. He's having to make sense of his own personality because he's a uh, he's an image consultant, and boy, does he have a lot to work on himself. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, reflectiveness to it, which I feel is a nice parallel with the Parent Trap, where it's maybe not uh, the you know Hallie and Annie reflecting on their past, their kids, but it's also the sense of their parents, Dennis Quaid and Natasha Richardson, reflecting on. Uh, what could have been if their romance persisted, um, which we see really lovingly in the scene when Hallie and Annie set them up on a date on the boat. Um, <laughs> and there's just, uh, and ends very 90s in terms of um, some of the, there's a little bit of kind of uh, electronic vibes to it, um, to a, f- a few of the cues, but it's, it's mostly very orchestral. Um I don't know if electronics necessarily the best way of putting it, but it just there, there's some '90s vibes going on there, and the kid came out in 2000, and um, I, I think the parallel here is that they just put you in a good mood. They're uh, uplifting, and um, there's some thoughtfulness to how they they're constructed. And Mark Shaman, uh, if memory serves me right, um, jumped in really late in, in the game here. Um, and uh, he delivered a really great score, as did Alan Silvestri. So that's why I recommend yeah. them. I love Alan Silvestri so much. His scores for Father of the Bride and Contact were two of my favorite scores from the 90s. Mm. I love... Uh, uh, Contact's fantastic. Oh my gosh, that music, that theme. Oh, that piano theme in Contact is everything to me. <laughs> it's everything! Okay, what's okay my last one... For scores is if you like the score to Aristocats, which we're starting off with, like not the most famous, because then we're going to dive into even less famous. But a lot of people do love Aristocats, and if you if you have seen it or or like it, people like it for the jazz music is very uh, Parisian jazz sort of flavored. So if you like that, check out Silly Symphonies. From the 30s and a few specific ones. So the Silly Symphonies were those short animated um, projects that Disney did for a, a decade leading up to Snow White. Because um, uh, I've said uh, when you had me on your podcast to, about my book that I wrote a, a year or two ago, um, I talked about how the Silly Symphonies were so important musically and fundamentally and all the things that they did with Snow White and Pinocchio in the first uh, uh, full-length animated films that really launched Disney, all of those only happened because they first practiced it on the Silly Symphonies. So with the Aristocats, that that jazz sort of flared, 
two nice ones just from the jazz sound to listen to in the silly symphonies one is called woodland cafe which is a bunch of bugs at a nightclub oh yes i remember <laughs> hanging out one. and chilling um but it, it goes through different music styles but one of it is it's very uh heavily jazz and specifically um paris jazz parisian sort of jazz and then the other one is one called music land which is oh, yes. a really important silly symphony i think in my opinion it's the best silly symphony it's fantastic and it's about the cultural war between quote-unquote older generations which is represented by classical music and newer generations represented by jazz music and so in both those uh, in both examples they use jazz music as part of the character and the story of it which aristocats also does so if you like the the classic Parisian jazz of Aristocats, then check them out decades before in Silly Symphonies, before there was even full-length animated musicals. Yeah. Great choices. Hmm. Yeah, I love the anthropomorphic instruments. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Windland Cafe is a, a silly one, but it's fun. Music Land is fantastic, though. If you, I always tell people in my students, if you only watch one Silly Symphony, watch Music Land. It's a very important... Silly Symphony. Awesome. So my last selection, uh, I decided to stick with uh, live action Disney animated fair. So uh, certainly the most popular, um, I would say probably the most popular live action Disney film in the past 25 years, Disney proper, is Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Mm, Classic. Fantastic theme. Yes. And so we have the composing team of uh, Klaus Badalt, and Hans Zimmer was the music producer, um, and he was obviously instrumental with all the subsequent films. Uh, so Pirates, uh, there's certainly the Jack Sparrow theme. There's so there's just so much packed in that film. It's very swashbuckling. It's epic. It's exciting. There's great use of strings throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic. Um, anyways... So if you like Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, which ironically was originally going to be composed by Alan Silvestri, mm-hmm. but then, oh, creative differences, I'm out. Uh, so if you like Pirates, may I recommend to you 1996's Muppet Treasure Island. Yes! Oh, I'm so happy Muppets got thrown in here <laughs> Composed by... <laughs> who was it composed by, Matt? Muppet Treasure Island. Wait, Treasure Island? Muppet Treasure Island. Uh, this is a quiz. Sorry. Oh, gosh. I'm on the spot. Give me a hint. Okay. Uh, this person won an Oscar for a Disney animated film. Hans Zimmer? Yes. Oh. Hans yeah. Zimmer. I thought it was going to be some trick. Oh, yes. Yeah, Hans Zimmer. So, so he gets to practice yeah. his pirates. He <laughs> literally tested the waters with the Muppets. <laughs> and there's some fun cues in there. Obviously, I guess if I think about Muppets Treasure Island music, I'm more inclined to be thinking about the songs, including um, a certain boy going through puberty. Um, not very successfully. <laughs> um, it's all right. It all, it all worked out for him. But... Uh, <laughs> But in any case, uh, the score is uh, has that fun swashbuckling mm-hmm. uh, vibe to it, and it's fanciful and 
playful as you would expect, but it but it also takes itself seriously at times, which is fun. Yeah. And um, yeah, I enjoy both. Yeah, Hans Zimmer at his Hans Zimmerist. <laughs> Zimmerist. Yes. Do you know what my favorite Hans Zimmer score is? Have I ever told you this? Uh, well, I'm guessing it's not the obvious. Is it Thalman no, Louise? No, it's not. No, it's A League of Their Own. Oh, yes. That score is oh. so beautiful. Because it was yes. before Hans Zimmer really got into the whole, like, I'm going to be the king of yeah. techno blockbuster. Um, and he's brilliant at it. Uh, his his Dark Knight trilogy music mm-hmm. is incredible, um, along with James Newton Howard. But I love it's it's so pure. It's yeah. like him. Mm. You can hear you can you can hear the you, him being a younger composer that didn't necessarily know what his sound was going to become. But it's such a just a great it's a great score. I love the soundtrack to League of Their Own. The the ending theme, like like that last scene, really. Just, whole, yeah, if it, you like, it haunts me. Yeah, if you listen to. It has nothing to do with Disney, but pull up on YouTube the League of Their Own soundtrack. Go to the last track, and it's like a seven and a half minute theme that is throughout the movie. But it's so good. I still think it's Hans Zimmer's best score. Wonderful. Well, at this point, we're going to wrap up, but we want to offer a little bit of a quiz uh, mm-hmm. to eat for each of us. Yeah, you wanted to gamify this a little. Let's bit. gamify it. So, how's this going to work, Matt? Well, we had said we were going to throw, you were going to throw two Disney songs out to me. I'm going to throw two scores out to you. And you, for each one, we have to, on the spot, think of like, oh, well, if someone likes that, what would you recommend? Mm-hmm. Maybe something that's a little lesser known or whatnot. So we're okay. going to yeah. just try to come up with something on the spot. Yeah, this is in live t- real time. Uh, I'm only going to edit it if uh, we have long, <laughs> if we have nothing long pauses. Like... Okay, so you okay. throw out a score for me. Okay. So let's see. So I've got, because right, I know you love this score so much. In fact, you've de- you've recently dedicated an entire episode <laughs> to the. So what would you say if you like the score to a Bug's Life? Then you'll like. Well, my obvious answer is going to be another Randy Newman score. Which one? Which it's it's going to be. Um, oh, where are we going with this? Where are we going? <laughs> well, I my, I mean the first thing that I thought of was the Princess and the Frog. Okay. Which I don't think is necessarily an exact parallel whatsoever, but I feel like the 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 energy the is energy similar. and optimism of and the use of brass. Yes, and the use of brass. <laughs> oh, thank you for pointing that out. So you're helping me out here. So the <laughs> but there's a there's an optimism to uh, flick that we also see with Tiana um, mm-hmm. that I they're they're kind of plucky in good ways yeah and i feel like we get that energy i think you know if i there there is a sense of of geography as a character so bug's life there the flicks theme the da 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 it's almost like a country boy like he's just mm-hmm. living the simple life you know coming up with inventions and he's just kind of moving along his little living his best life living his best life on the anthill even though everybody hates him but i feel like similarly in terms of just the environment as a character and we feel that even that even though there's not country uh instruments associated with country music in in Bug's life, there is that vibe in terms of how he arranges it. In terms of just kind of like yes. he's kind of dawdling a- a- around, and and so, yeah. anyways, I see a parallel 
between that and then New Orleans as a character for uh, and a backdrop for Tiana in Princess and the Frog. She's doing the best she can. It's a very, um, you know, th- there's the high energy, of course, of being in New Orleans and I think it's in the 20s. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, there's, there's, I think, a sweetness that comes through when you, like the, the bedtime story scene toward the beginning that um, where you you hear that innocence associated with Tiana and mm-hmm. it's, in a sense Flick is kind of that innocent uh, yeah. folk too. Yeah, no, I think that's a good parallel. Yeah, because they both use, yeah, they both use a genre to lead into something of an adventure. So like mm-hmm. Bugs Life, he definitely uses country folk western flair but in like an orchestral adventure setting mm-hmm. and same thing with Princess and the frog he uses jazz foundations but then he turns it into like musical adventure mm-hmm. that's what i meant to say yeah i think you have <laughs> okay yes all right all right so so you're gonna give me a song i'm gonna give you a song so right. my song what selection is so this is love oh from Cinderella. 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 Uh, hmm. Okay. On the spot. Go. Okay. So I'm going to go with another classic love song that I don't think is heard or played as much. I'm going to go with Love is a Song That Never Ends from Bambi. Oh, wow. It's a really That's a deep one. cut. Yeah. Love is a song that never ends. Da, mm. da, da. It's really gorgeous. Yeah. I think. I lo- would say it's a, it's a prettier song than So This Is Love. Love is probably the word that is used most often in the title of Dis- a Disney song, if I can think about yeah. it. Another deep cut is the song called Love from Robin Hood. Yes. Because it's not as, yeah, uh, you know, because everyone always goes to, so this is love, um, a dream is a wish your heart makes. Uh, once upon a once dream. Once upon a dream, someday my prince will come. Mm-hmm. But I think... Love is a song that never ends, and the Robin Hood love song. Those two are equally as gorgeous and beautiful, okay. but you don't hear them nearly as much. Yeah, as the other ones. Absolutely, mentioned. for yeah. sure. Yeah, unlike my pick of Princess and the Frog, which you're going to hear constantly once Tiana's Bayou Adventure opens, <laughs> presumably. I love Princess and the Frog. Yes, <laughs> that's very clear. All right, what's your next selection okay. for me? This is the second, right, but, second yes. and final selection. Okay. So I'm gonna we're gonna go to a park. If you like the score to Soren in oh. Epcot, because I know you that's oh. one of your favorite park oh. scores. So if you like the score to Soren, then what do you think someone else might like? So does my selection have to be another attraction? Mm-hmm. Or? No, just something in the Disney World hmm. that you think so, evokes something similar to what the Soren score is. Hmm. Which is a fantastic score, right? So I'm and I'm gonna try to go outside of my comfort zone of going with something by the same composer. So okay. I could go with Jerry Goldsmith and say Mulan. Could say mm-hmm. Bruce Broughton, who handled Soren around the world, uh, uh, who's handled a number of Disney projects. But when I think about Soren, I think of of uh, beauty, natural beauty, and epicness, um, and and there's there's a just an overpowering theme. So I'm. Using, I'm saying all of this to kill time and to try to think of something that actually <laughs> is a parallel to Sorn. But what I, I mean, I would say um, Fantasia um, in, mm. in some respects, but I feel yeah. like we've covered a lot of Fantasia ground. So that would be maybe a little bit um, too easy. 
Um, so I'm going to go with uh, a Disney film that I'm still thinking in my mind that exudes uh, pure beauty. Um, and what might that be? It's not Beauty and the Beast. Um, I'm going to go with... Hmm... I almost want to say a Disney nature film because oh, Soren. You do enjoy watching the like Disney nature shows. Yeah, you know what? Um, gosh, but I can't. I can't select one because there's not necessarily a score. Didn't you just have a? Didn't you interview recently the composer to one of the Disney geographical documentaries or like a nature documentary? I did. I did interview Raphael Thibault, who did Secret of the Whales. Yes, Secrets of That's the Whales. Um, that was a while ago already, but that was a, a Nat Geo um, project. And soon we're going to get um, some more secrets of different animal species that are going to be on Disney+. Plus. But I have not s- selected my pick yet. We're just no. killing time. This is hard, Soren. Okay, I need to be decisive. Okay, perfect. I thought of one. What? Okay, Dinosaur. Oh. James Noon Howard. Yes. Which, um, the parallel here is that... Oh, it's all connecting now. I'm having an epiphany. (laughs) No. So Dinosaur was not only remarkable because it was Disney's first uh, animated... No, not (laughs) flop. First Disney animated film to um, primarily use computer animation, but it was also alongside real-life live-action footage of different environments from all around the world. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so all the backgrounds, it's all live-action footage. Oh, so like South know. America, like the famous waterfalls, which actually are also in Soren around the world. Oh. Remember the scene with the waterfalls? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. So, anyways, perfect. It's all. Well, yeah, this was the best. The, and and the reason why I select dinosaur is it has a very epic vibe, mm-hmm. um, particularly the egg travels, which is the opening scene that was used in the trailer mm-hmm. um, as a way. Of, I mean, it's an epic vibe in a trailer because it was the opening to the film. Um, it. it Makes perfect sense. Yes, dinosaur, particularly the egg travels. It's it's very yeah. it's very James Noon Howardy, <laughs> and uh, it's a lovely score. One that it, I, it, it was the beginning of his trifecta for Disney, which was dinosaur, then Atlantis, then Treasure Planet. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, if you love the score for Swan, you'll absolutely love the score for That's dinosaur. A great pick. I didn't know where you were going to go I didn't know it. either, but it just, it it was one of those that it wasn't an instant aha, yeah. but once I thought of it, it, it makes perfect sense. It does. That's yeah. a great choice. Okay. All right. And what's my last song? Poor Unfortunate Souls. Oh, Little Mermaid. My queen. <laughs> oh, oh, the best villain song. Of all. Okay. Let me try to think. Oh, about. I know. I know what, what I some, would pick. Well, I want to try to go with things that aren't as well known, though. Okay. And I've already done, we started this episode with the Eels song. Okay. A Disney villain song that is not, that's sort of like left field. Because <laughs> if you love Poor Unfortunate Souls, which is a, a charismatic. <gasps> yes. Oh, I like, no, I don't think you know where I'm going. Where do you think I'm going to go? You're not going to go with Mother Knows Best, are you? No, uh-uh. oh, no okay. I'm going way more left field than that. Okay. I'm going to go with. I think it was season five or season six of Once Upon a Time, Disney's ABC television show that was all based on Disney characters, but like a live action adult soap opera about it. Mm. 
it was either season five or season six, they did a musical episode. I remember hearing about that. And it's a fantastic show. I love the show. And in the episode, all the main characters get like a big song. And Captain Hook is one of the main characters. And he gets a song in the pub. It's very much kind of like a Gaston song, but it's called uh, Revenge is Gonna Be Mine. Revenge, revenge, revenge is gonna be mine. Um, And it's such a catchy villain song and he's very he's like ursula in the sense of in the show he's he's dark humor sarcastic very charismatic um but also very devious um so i just love that show so much and i love that they did a musical episode i can't believe it took them years before they did a musical episode it was Um, a ratings ploy (laughs) yeah but that show is really fun we've talked about you never watched that show i watched episodes of the first season but for whatever reason i didn't Ugh. continue with it but i, I would be open it. to it I, I love i'm not opposed i love that show i thought it was so well done it was from the creators of lost it was basically like disney's version of lost um but it was so well done but that that's definitely there was a couple of out of the box villain songs that i could have done but i think that one's a good one that's awesome. a good, like, out of left field people okay. don't know about. So go to YouTube, type in Once Upon a Time, Captain Hook, Revenge is Gonna Be Mine. And you get a, a fun uh, two-minute pub song of uh, a dashing Captain Hook singing on top of tables. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think, and then my mind instantly goes to Gallivant. And- Gallivant! Yeah, which I, I wasn't, yes. I didn't like Gallivant as much as Once Upon a Time. Okay, that's but. fine. Well, that's for another day. Matt, yeah. this has been so much fun. It's been fun. I, I, These are the type of conversations we just have normally. Yeah. Like over at lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fun to stick a microphone in it. But, it was, but I also like the element at the end where we came up with stuff on the fly, or in my case, stalling for three minutes and then yeah. coming up with Dinosaur. But I think what this really shows is there's... We, we focus on a certain amount of content within the realm of Disney because certain material is very mainstream but there's an absolute treasure trove of content for people oh, to yeah. listen to yeah well and you and i always have great conversations because we we both equally love the disney world as much as each other does but we we often focus on everything like you could probably tell from this episode i love the classics i love honoring the classics you're really great with park stuff and composers you're really great with scores i also love villain so like it's i feel like this episode showed kind of what we tend to gravitate towards which is fun it's a nice compliment to each other yeah alas though you did not highlight iago's song oh from return of you focused on he gets two songs yeah iago gets technically two yeah yes also my my friend Brittany. And I, oh, we, we made each other like almost pee our pants laughing so hard when we watched Return to Far and we start, she's a singer, and we were laughing so hard at the the one song Jasmine sings. Someone in the sound booth did not realize that song is like a, a couple of keys too high. It's Jasmine at the top of her most paint and it's so high. We can't forget about love. <laughs> she, we were like, no one in the sound booth was like, can we lower this to two half steps? It's so high. <laughs> this is what my friends and I <laughs> talk about. 
talk about it. <laughs> Brittany and I like laughed for 30 minutes solid about the key signature that Princess Jasmine sings in in Forget About Love at the end of Return to Four. So go check it, go check it out. On that note, thanks again for joining me, Matt. Thanks. We'll have to do this again. This was fun. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.